for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Those who labored in the streets, those who have taken time this past week to fast, because you're not fasting for me, you're fasting for you for your community, for your families. And we're here to get hold of God. These aren't just a series of services so that we can fill our notebooks, uh, maybe acquire some new knowledge. Uh, But how many know our generation desperately needs a move of God? And that's not something that's found simply in what someone has to say, but it's discovered when we believe what God says. And I'm here, again, just to believe God with you, and it's a great privilege, amen, to join in your efforts and your labors. I mentioned to your pastor that I have some sweat equity here in the Virginia Beach area, and uh, just to clarify some things, we did spend some four years in Havelock, but we weren't the pastor at that time, and we were working with another couple, of course, that was there, working with the music groups and some of the youth. Uh, but we uh, frequently came here to outreach in the streets, bringing music groups. And uh, uh, as early as when John Johnson was here and Pastor Dillard as well. And uh, uh, so you're always in our prayers. Amen. And uh, again, we thank you so much, your pastor and his wife, dear family, uh, uh, again, for the opportunity to be able to come. As uh, Pastor Campbell says, when you get our age, you're glad to be anywhere. But uh, it's a great privilege. Amen. If you have your Bibles, and turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians in chapter 4. I'm going to preach something that I've entitled, A Kodak Moment. Now, there's a few of us that are here this morning that are old enough to remember when the Kodak Corporation was a thing. Others, you're young, and it's like, what's that? We know that it revolves around, of course, the creation and the preservation of images, of course. And some years back, we pastored in Blythe, California. It's a small desert town. At the time that we were there, there was some 7,000 people in the community. But one of the unique uh, aspects of that area is there was a large petrograph or petrolyph uh, uh, that was there near one of the bases of the mountains. And this is an ancient uh, uh, means of creating an image that could be seen from great distances. Even as aircraft would fly over, uh, they could see this picture and these rocks that were arranged in the shape of a man and what appears to be a bear or some type of animal. Again, uh, many professionals disagree as to the reason that it was created. Is it a sign to the gods? Is it meant to be a message for visitors from outer space? Perhaps it was a message to other migrant tribes in the area to fear those who already possessed 
that particular region. Or my favorite is, is perhaps a statement of a man's bravery in hunting. Just like when we go fishing. It was this big. <laughs> but we know that there are many such finds. We consider them prehistoric uh, in mountains, in remote areas uh, where people are trying to establish or depict their interaction with the environment, their experiences in life, and sometimes even the spiritual realm. We know that eventually there was the invention of daguerreotypes. That's not the word of the day, uh, but that uh, uh, is a crude process of uh, capturing and uh, uh, having images uh, going back to the 1800s. Many of our Civil War era photos, some of those uh, early uh, photos of our presidents were captured on daguerreotypes uh, uh, in itself. We know eventually the process was refined where people could have their own cameras. This brought a whole new dimension into people's lives, that they could capture the images of those get-togethers and family events that we had. We know that those images can be very powerful, images that can be very moving and inspirational. We even give awards towards those who capture Remarkable images in themselves. Again, they can be powerful and moving or lustful and menacing. Again, we live in a generation uh, that has given rise to not only the term selfie, uh, but also such disturbing things as sexting and capturing inappropriate images, uh, even on today's modern cell phones. Again, we know that being able to capture these images as uh, evolved very rapidly. Uh, but yet as we consider uh, this term imagery or image in itself, how uh, I many understand that it's frequently used in the Bible? There are references to graven images, the warnings not to fashion or to create graven images meant for uh, worship or reference points, uh, not anything that is in heaven uh, or on earth or in the sea, uh, that these are not meant to be something that we would use to represent uh, holy and spiritual things. There's references to the image of jealousy, uh, sometimes those arenas of our mind uh, where we consider what others have and what we don't have, and sometimes it can inflame those passions and cause disturbing feelings and emotions to rise and bubble up within us. There's also references, of course, to the chambers of our imagery. Even while we sit here in a church service, uh, we attempt to focus uh, on what somebody is preaching, what we're being taught, uh, but oftentimes our mind is reeling with all kinds of images and thoughts, uh, things that we saw this week and other things that we read and images in our mind. And so sometimes it's a struggle just to pay attention. But there's also references to the image of God. And this is what I want to focus on this morning because who we imagine God to be, what we imagine His expectation of our life is a vital factor in our Christian walk. We've learned to clarify, colorize, enhance our resolution of ourselves and our environment 
But the image of God is still a mystery to most of us. And this is the origin of our world's religions. This is the origin even of occultism, uh, denominationalism. Who is God and what does He want us to be? Does He want us to be a vegetarian environmentalist? Does He want us to be uh, religiously content? Uh, you know, attending a service from time to time, performing some form of ritual or ceremony, uh, and uh, being content with that experience. Does he want us to be some rabid, militant uh, type of individual uh, that is stockpiling food and weapons for the upcoming apocalypse? I've lived in areas and had to work with individuals who have that mindset. Or does our God want us to be devoted, a disciple, a follower of the example of Jesus Christ, always ready to give an account for the hope that is within us, being sanctified, being transformed by the Spirit of God. And with that in mind, I want to read 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning with the first seven verses. Paul writes, therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing whose minds the God of this age is blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. I want to consider, first of all, imagine that. You know, man's error sometime or our greatest hindrance to our evangelism enterprise frequently revolves around people's difficulty imagining themselves following Jesus. Even when I surrendered my heart to Jesus, I was in traction for two weeks. I had a lot of time to think about my life. And I told God if He would help me, if He would piece my life, my marriage back together, I would serve Him. But I had no idea what that could mean. What could God do with this life? And I couldn't have imagined the opportunities and the things that God has done. It wasn't something that was on my schedule. It wasn't something that I had prepared my life for prior to that. 
I prayed with a man uh, in Chandler uh, Outreach uh, some time back, and uh, a middle-aged gentleman worked for the prison system uh, uh, out there. Uh, He'd gone through a divorce, was living with another woman. He was somewhat estranged uh, uh, from some of his children, and uh, he was in a desperate uh, set of circumstances, trying to make sense of all the experiences in life. Uh, And one of those doors that we had knocked on uh, where he said, come in. I had just prayed that God uh, would somehow uh, uh, help me answer the questions in life. Uh, And I began to share the gospel, and he was so open to pray. He came to services, uh, and uh, for a period of time was just elated and joy. And then he began to miss. So I made contact with him, and I had this conversation with him. uh, As he essentially said, I'm just sorry, I can't imagine myself doing what you guys do. And I said, well, God's not expecting you to do what I do or what others do. Uh, He just wants you to fall in love with Him. Get to know who He is. Uh, Let Him comfort you. Let Him help you uh, in life. Let Him change you from day to day. But yet, this was a very real obstacle for Him. He couldn't imagine himself being committed. He couldn't imagine himself attending church on a regular basis. His history, his past experience, his work environment, all of these things just seemed to be a combination of things that didn't fit in his imagination to be able to serve God. And so this is the veil that sometimes, uh, as we read in our portion of Scripture, uh, eyes that are veiled, they cannot see the wonder, they cannot see the glory, uh, they cannot get past their own set of circumstances, uh, they cannot picture themselves committed to the purpose of God. This causes them to reject valid examples, valid ministries, and even the help that God alone can offer. And this is the reason I believe it gives rise even to the many different religious mindsets, the doctrines that are so readily embraced in our generation. People who desire perhaps a more comfortable Christianity, a non-confrontational form of Christianity, an uncommitted form of Christianity. And what happens is that we begin to change the image of God into something a little more like ourselves. Well, my Jesus allows me to do this. My Jesus, uh, you know, makes exceptions for so many things that accommodate our own appetites, desires, and our own self-will. And so we begin to change the image of God into the likeness of men. But yet when we look at the example, not only of Jesus Himself, But his own apostles, even the prophets and the judges that came, even from the generations before, we know that they were often anything but comfortable. They were certainly confrontational. And we know that they were extremely committed to the plan and the purpose of God. And this is the posture. This is the standing that is established by the light that is revealed in the face of Jesus. It's not something you find in a portrait or a statue. 
You know, before I gave my life to Jesus, I had lots of religious instruction. I was raised a Lutheran. Uh, much of our Scandinavian uh, uh, families that were raised under that influence. Uh, but I'd never been born again. I had lots of instruction. I converted to Catholicism when I married my wife, just simply because I felt it was all kind of the same. Yeah, there's a few extra things here and there. Uh, but even in that experience, I'd never had an encounter with God. But Jesus wants us to get a glimpse of who He is. Again, in our text, verse 4 says, Whose minds the God of this age is blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Goes on in verse 6. It is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness who has shone in our hearts and to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. See, it is Jesus' face that you and I are to seek. And I know that seems to be kind of a, maybe an obscure reference in a sense, but how many know God is in the business of revealing Himself? He gives us glimpses of His power and His glory. And I'll share some of my testimony uh, throughout the week. Uh, but uh, God has worked so many miracles for myself and my family and things that I've seen that I knew could only be God. As I mentioned, my wife, as we struggled with the loss of our first daughter who passed away when she was 16 months old. We both dealt with it differently. Uh, I began to immerse myself and, uh, in myself in drugs and alcohol to kind of mask the pain uh, uh, that I felt inside. My wife uh, grew increasingly depressed. Uh, instead of attending parties, she wanted to stay at home. She wanted to lock herself uh, uh, inside uh, that. And so this created some issues and some problems. Uh, but when I was in that hospital bed uh, and Jesus heard my prayer of repentance, uh, he came into that place, God told me. And again, uh, it's one of those things that, that I cannot describe. I knew that He said, things are going to be alright. Okay? I didn't have anything tangible. Nothing had changed. I still had the same job. I still had the same house to live in. I was still driving the same car. And all of those things. But yet God told me, things are going to be different. Now I had to convince my wife. And as I mentioned, I found out later she was considering suicide. While I was there, uh, hundreds of miles away in traction in a hospital bed, uh, she was trying to figure out a way that she could do this, that it wouldn't be messy, that it wouldn't be problematic uh, uh, for those who might discover her. Uh, and uh, again, just a, a horrible set of circumstances. But as I was being touched by God, at William Beaumont Army Medical Center, my wife was looking at knives, was looking at things, and all of a sudden a knock comes on the door. My wife puts the knives down, goes over to the door and opens it, and it's a neighbor, a friend, not even a believer, someone we used to party with, uh, that comes and says, something told me I needed to come over here. Is everything okay? Can you explain that? 
other than the grace of God who answered a prayer some 400 miles away and began to send help to begin to piece our lives back together. See, this is what God can do. And that's just a small uh, sampling of the things that God will do to reveal Himself. Uh, Let us seek His face. Uh, The reason we have prayer before service uh, isn't so we can monopolize more of your time. The reason we have prayer before we go on outreach uh, isn't because, uh, you know, we just want to make sure that you're here before we go out. But it's, uh, you know, because we need to prepare our heart. We need God. And the Bible promises that He goes before us. Those doors are a lot easier to knock on when you know God's already been there. Amen? Amen? And let's believe God. And let's seek His face. See, what is the face that we see? You know, I like to ride bike. I have mountain bike. And being 60 years old now, I know that my window of opportunity gets smaller every day. But... I was at one bike park, and there was an area that was uh, uh, there, and uh, uh, all of a sudden, you know, there's a little retaining wall that had a little ramp that was there, and all of a sudden, I had to double take, because R2-D2 was coming down. (laughs) And all of a sudden, this little girl on a skateboard comes up. She's got a helmet. Looks like (laughs) R2-D2. And I begin to think about this, uh, is that, you know, actors, you know, they make above average living on their ability to contort and distort their face. Coupled with convincing emotions, they become believable characters. You know, the Star Wars franchise is a multi-billion dollar franchise. You know, they brought in more economy and money than the gross national product of a lot of nations throughout the world. And so... All of our kids that are here, most of them would recognize certain characters. They have uh, t-shirts, they have uh, uh, hats, they have uh, Lego figures, uh, and uh, uh, all of these things that have become part of our popular culture today. They can easily recognize Darth Vader, who I can't imagine, you know, how easy it was to act that part because you got to have a helmet on. You could be making all kinds of funny faces behind the mask as long as you had that. (laughs) You know, they use makeup, they use prosthetics, they use all of these things to evoke fear and menace. The moment he takes the screen, people can sense the ominous qualities of this character. And then there's you know, R2-D2, who essentially looks like a common everyday trash can. But yet with a few beeps and whistles and whirs, we all know what it means when he does that. People become affectionately attached. And we can recognize them uh, and they communicate something to our life. Yet Jesus is an incredible character unlike anyone else. And He promises life to those who believe in His name. It's His face that we must seek if we are going to make heaven our home. See, I understand this morning as I come for five services, I'm not much to look at. 
I've mentioned to your pastor, my wife is my drummer, my uh, youngest daughter is my bass player, and so uh, they're, they're the eye candy. So, uh, you know, kind of helps when we're out on a, a, a outreach with the music group and things like that. Uh, but yet, we know that it's Jesus' face that we have to discover if we're going to make heaven our home. Colossians chapter 1, verses 14 through 17, declares, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the uh, invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things consist. I mean, you know, that's a relatively short portion of Scripture, but it embodies a whole wealth of revelation and understanding. Jesus is everything that you ever wanted in life. He is everything that you are searching for. Because He can save your world. He can recreate and refashion uh, your character and your personality. Uh, He can change your destiny and your future. He can speak life into your circumstances. Later on, uh, in Colossians 3, verses 8 through 10, Now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. I mean, you know, if I stop there, that's good doctrine. But he goes on, do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Again, this comes down to who we imagine God to be. That is the factor that changes us that compels us to put off the old nature, the old appetites, the old habits and desires, uh, because it becomes worthwhile to be more like Jesus. Again, when I was in that hospital bed, trying to make sense of that, you know, King James English, when I had prayed a prayer, that same New Testament that made no sense just a few minutes before, I began to read it. And it took on a whole new meaning. Oh, I didn't understand everything. I'm sure I was missing a whole lot. Uh, But I begin to see a picture of who Jesus really was. Something I never saw as a Lutheran. Something I never saw as a Catholic. Uh, God began to show me uh, the compassion, uh, the authority, uh, the mission that Jesus had. uh, These compelling qualities and characteristics. uh, And this kid who, at that time, I wanted to be like John Wayne, or maybe some of my favorite rock and pop stars and stuff. Uh, Now I begin to see, this is what I need to be like. Uh, And I understand, I still fall far short of that goal. But I won't stop until that day I can meet Him face to face. Because we are being transformed into His image, even by the Spirit of God. Hebrews 1 Verses 1 through 3, God, who at various times in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the worlds, 
who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Again, what a wonderful opportunity God has given us. You came to church this morning because you're looking for something. Something to help you. Something you can take back with you uh, that you can apply in your life that will improve your quality of life. That will connect you uh, with the one who made you and gave you life. And that is found in this relationship uh, in Jesus Christ. I'm going to consider it Secondly, despised and rejected. Many of us are familiar with Isaiah 53. The first three verses uh, says, uh, and this is prophetic concerning Jesus when he would come to the earth. uh, Who has believed our report? Uh, To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. This is the tragedy of mankind, is that we miss the beauty. We miss the wonder of who Jesus really is. We miss the meaning, the understanding of what the gospel can mean to our life. How many know the gospel is good news? We're not alone. So for all those who wondered if there's extraterrestrial life and all that stuff, no, we are not alone. There's a God in heaven. And there are angels all around us that are ministering spirits. Yet, the gospel seems foolishness to those who perish. Jesus' appearance, his lack of worldly excellence or accomplishments caused many to overlook him, even reject him. Born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? A carpenter's son. All of these things caused many to reject him, overlook what he had to offer. And the same is true for his followers. You know, years ago, I remember I was probably, you know, as young as third grade or so, and I had a desire to see Frankenstein. You know, that's back in the day when everything was black and white. Pictures were black and white, TV was black and white. And, but I remember convincing my parents, I want to watch Frankenstein. No, you'll be scared. You'll have nightmares. No, I'm a big boy. (laughs) And I remember watching this uh, on my parents' couch through my hands. (laughs) But the truth is, is that story isn't so much about a monster, as it were, uh, who terrorizes the land. It's actually a sad story. This creature that's been given life now just wants to know where it fits, wants to be loved, wants to be accepted. And it's a tragic story. And how much is that often like us? 
We've been saved. We've been delivered. God has brought new life to us. But the world, the unbelievers look at us like, you got nothing to offer. Stay away from me. Don't talk to me about Jesus. I've had those experiences. Some family members, friends, old partying buddies. I liked you better the way you were before. It's all right. I'll pray for you. Some of them have gotten saved, but this is what we see going on in our text beginning in verse 8 through verse 12. It says, We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our body. For we are, we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. Most of us are familiar with how shamefully the apostles were treated at times how they were brutally beaten and scarred, uh, sometimes drugged outside of the cities and left for dead. But yet they would pick themselves up, go to the next community and preach the gospel. What possesses somebody to do that? What inspires, what moves an individual to embrace and to accept this as part of their calling in their life? How many know you got to have a glimpse of who Jesus is? You've got to be able to see the hope, the promise of future things. That even in those sacrifices, in those efforts, God can save this person. God can redeem a family here. God can t- and God can begin to pull together a congregation of people who are making their way to heaven. So then death, as the apostle says, is working in us, but life in you. He sees purpose even in the rejection. He sees purpose in all of these things. One portion of scripture he says, don't be ashamed of me and my chains. For what has happened to me has fallen out for the furtherance of the gospel. So he embraces this calling. This is part of his being an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the midst of all of these things, how many know that sometimes challenge to our faith, sometimes living under false accusations only serve to define our beliefs? Verses 13 and 14, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. See, in the midst of all of these things, the persecution and the rejection, uh, he's still determined. Uh, He still stands uh, with faith uh, and resolve uh, to accomplish God's will. Understanding that they are assured of an eternal inheritance. I'm going to close with the thought of the Kodak moment. And I know a lot of times when you start a revival, the first question isn't who he is and where he came from, and, but it's how long does he preach. But uh, 
We want to close with this thought. You know, for those of you who remember, again, the Kodak Corporation used to be ubiquitous throughout the world. And so that's the word of the day. That means the culture was saturated with its images, with its advertisements. Uh, it was a, a Fortune 500 company, one of the most important uh, uh, corporations in America. And during the holidays in particular, uh, magazines, uh, television, uh, uh, all around, there were advertisements. If you will use their products, you can capture those Kodak moments. How many of you have some photo albums? And from time to time, we pull them out. Those times where, you know, even your pastor and I were still cute and... Uh, you know, there's grandma. He's still cute, yes. You're still cute, Pastor. <laughs> and so we recall those times where we were together with friends. We recall those times when we were younger, where we were together with cousins, uh, uh, events in our life that we captured uh, on those photos and we're able to go back and to a degree relive some of those things, maybe even teach our children and grandchildren about people that they never had the privilege of knowing and what life was like. You know, like the kids ask, you know, gee, Dad, was everything black and white? back then <laughs> you know the father of lies tries to distort people's perception of the church he lies about who we are we know that this is what Jesus felt what all his followers will feel from time to time our sincerity our credibility is frequently under scrutiny But Jesus wants us to get a picture of who he is. And from time to time, God gives us those slivers of his glory. Working a miracle in an impossible situation. Bringing deliverance, uh, uh, providing a job, bringing promotion. Things that we didn't deserve. God showing that he always knows. Our Heavenly Father knows what we need even before we ask. God demonstrates His goodness to every one of us. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. We all have pictures of ourselves at our worst. My son Chad was in uh, Pastor and Taya's wedding some years back. And uh, uh, when he was younger, he went through this area and you know, season, you know, like a lot of teenagers, I guess, where he didn't want to be photographed. You know, like even if we went to the mall, he didn't want to be with mom and dad, you know. And so I know there's no kids here like that. But we have a couple of those family pictures. Okay, we've set up an appointment. We're going to have a family photograph. And here we all, we're all dressed up. We're smiling. We're looking good. And here's our son. Come on, smile. And now we look at those and Chad says, boy, I was a jerk. And I say, yeah, you were. You were. 
uh, some years back, I've shared just you know a little bit. Uh, uh, I was president of the governor's band, the state where I had resided, and uh, uh, we had made a trip. We were uh, participating in the Cotton Bowl celebration in Dallas, Texas, uh, 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 and that that particular time, the uh, parade route that was there was. Uh, uh, it was below freezing, the wind chill cutting through the buildings and stuff. And uh, 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 I remember that when we finally got back to the motel room, even though we had complimentary tickets to go see the game, and I'm a football lover, I said, no, I'm staying here. I'm going to take a good hot bath. <laughs> and while I was soaking in the bathtub, one of my friends, uh, all of us, uh, he had brought one of those uh, uh, Polaroid cameras, you know, the kind that you and then you wave it in the air and look at it until the picture comes out and stuff. And all of a sudden, the door flies open. And so, you know, I thank God there was no internet back then. But the rest of the trip, I'm having to try to find out who has possession of this photo. So I was a little more popular than I wanted to be at that time. But see, we all have those pictures of us. Don't show that. Delete that. You know, we want to, you know, show people at our best. We want to alter the picture, even when we, you know, I, I don't know if Pastor was repulsed or not, but I sent him a photo, I think, of was it didn't end up on the, uh, uh, the flyer, <laughs> scare people, but, uh, uh, you know, when the young lady in the church had taken the picture, she said, I'll email it to you. Okay, great. And, and so a uh, picture came in the email, I called her up, and I said, you sent me the wrong picture. She said, no, how did that happen? Oh, let me check. And she checks. She says, no, it's, I, I sent you the right one. I said, no, this guy's bald. He's got wrinkles. He looks old. And she says, that is you. <laughs> because we want to change what people see of us. We live in the age of Photoshop. Glamour fit. We can remove the pockmarks and the acne and uh, uh, make ourselves look like a movie star. But the truth is, is before you will ever get a glimpse of who God is, you have to understand who you are. You have to accept this. You're a sinner. Well, I'm not that bad. I'm not a murderer. No, you're just as guilty as a person on death row. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. And you will never see God. You will never experience His benefits uh, until you come to a place where you are willing to repent. Willing to say, I am a liar. I'm a cheat. I've been perverse. I've been unrighteous. I've been cruel. I've been unkind. I've been wicked. See, those are strong adjectives, and sometimes people have difficulty embracing that. Uh, and people think that we're trying to, you know, force them into, you, you know, accepting something unacceptable. You see, we live in a generation where people want their sin 
to be embraced, to normalize their homosexuality, to normalize uh, uh, their drug use, to normalize uh, uh, their condition in life. Uh, when the Bible says we all need to repent. So until you can look and view yourself as what the Bible says you and I are, you will never see Jesus. You will never understand His Word. And if I can just go back to that example, when I was in a hospital bed, nobody was there twisting my arm. Nobody was bending my ear. But I knew that I knew there's a God in heaven. And when I asked Him, to forgive me, to help me, that I wanted to change, he gave me a glimpse of who he was. Even though the room was dark, it was early in the morning, I swore somebody turned the lights on. I actually had to look around because I saw the light. I was still in a darkened room. I was still in pain. But yet Jesus had come into my circumstances And I knew that things would be different. I couldn't have imagined how different and how wonderful it is. See, Jesus wants to reveal himself to you. We must have our eyes opened spiritually. You must appreciate who he is and what he has done for you. All Jesus' disciples fled. They ran for their lives during the passion of Jesus when he was crucified. But after he was risen from the dead, uh, there were all of these rumors. Well, the women, they encountered him in the garden. Uh, Peter had an encounter with an angel. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Uh, And so all of these things are going around. Uh, People are getting a glimpse of Jesus here and there. He's alive. Uh, He's not dead. Uh, He's done everything that he has promised. Uh, But then there's Thomas. I ain't seen it. And you know those women are always kind of emotional anyhow. They see things. I won't believe unless I touch the scars. And even while they're discussing these things, as the disciples are together in fellowship, the Bible says Jesus appears in their midst and says, peace to you. And they're frightened, they're afraid. They suppose they've seen a ghost. But yet, Jesus looks over and he sees Thomas. Thomas, stretch forth your hand, touch me. Put your hand in my side and see that it is I. And to Thomas's credit, he didn't need any more revelation. He falls on his knees and says, my Lord and my God. See, and this teaches us a little something about who this Jesus is. That if necessary, he'll walk through walls to give you a glimpse of his love for you, of his care. That you can trust him with your future. You can trust him with your life because there's no one like him. I wonder if we can bow our heads just for a moment, close our eyes briefly. This morning you've come, maybe wondering what a revival service is. Well, we want to revive life. Maybe you've come in and your marriage, your life, your character, your personality is on life support. Jesus wants to bring life to you.
thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vbph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website at vbph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people. Oh,